Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is we continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. For those of you that thought that I would just talk about it for a week and then it'd be gone and out the window, we are staying hooked on two things. Finding a way to lure Jenny Swigert into the program once a week, at <laughs> least, if not more. And two, if you'll remember, it's now been 30 days ago when my friend, Damon McLaughlin from Dublin, Ireland, said that the beef industry is in trouble because they don't want to communicate with the 35-year-old mother of two. Jenny has been really good at bringing along the 35-year-old mother of two. We won't ask Bethany how old she is, but we have another one coming to us. Two of them. Can I handle two chicks from Central Illinois today on a red shirt Friday, Jenny? I don't know. We do get a little. Um, we do get a little talkative, but we'll 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 let you listen. I'm a good listener, but you'll remember <laughs> 1989. I left Illinois, so you know there might have been a reason behind that. True. Who, did, who you brought Bethany along today? Mm-hmm. Introduce Bethany. Yes. Yeah, so Bethany and I, I think the first time we met, and I don't know that you're going to remember this, was when you were a bank teller at our small town bank, like 15, 20 years ago, and then. Uh, um, school, our kids got to school age, and then we got to know each other through a mutual really good friend, and I think all of it has just been kind of history since then. Yes. Um, we used to live like a quarter of a mile from each other, and she would come up oh. to our house and sit on the porch, and we would just have these fascinating discussions about food and farming, and um, so she was kind of a, a natural ask to bring on the show. Um, and she's awesome because she has gone back to school and she's getting her. No, you did get your nursing degree. No, I haven't got it yet, but I'm in the process. Okay. So yes, I'm on the way. Bethany Bieber. Bethany Bieber. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. We left out the Bieber part. That's all I was doing, Jenny. (laughs) And thank you for being a nurse from, uh, a family of nurses. We've got a 17-year-old that's just acquired her CNA and is working in a rehabilitation center slash nursing home for the summer. My mother yeah. nursed for 42 years, Quincy, Illinois. We yes. This nursing thing, I don't think we're flush with nurses, so thank you for choosing that. Thank you. I am a CNA currently working here at the Hopedale Hospital, so it's been a very good education, some good uh, knowledge to acquire before getting fully my feet wet. So it's been, it's been a good thing. I've been really, it's, it's a different hard thing to go back to school when you're an adult, but truthfully, it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome too. You know what you want. So you're working hard for it. I, I can't speak for Jenny, but there is no way I'm going to go back to school. I'm 53. I left school when I, when I was 18. I was like, that's not for me. I have dreams. Don't crush my dreams, Trent. You're going to go back to school, Jenny. Eventually, be, once the kids are older, yeah, I have a university a mind and program in mind. No, I'm going to become more specialized in food and consumer behavior. <laughs> You're practicing on me, aren't you? <laughs> No, I'm totally serious. Like I, no, the I know, but you're using 
you're using roll right to get ready for this whole new burgeoning degree. That's awesome. Oh, I am. (laughs) Yeah, I am. Yeah. Bethany sounds lovely, but she's not totally what we were talking about in the beginning. And I only say this because you, Bethany, you do have some food, animal, food, animal experience. You have some chickens and goats, do you not? We do. Yes. We don't, we, we eat the eggs, but we've never milked the goats, but we, we're thinking about doing that, breeding the goats and and having goat's milk and stuff like that. But we haven't quite gotten to that point yet. So you have dairy goats. Well, they could be if we if we. If you milk them, they're a dairy goat, I reckon. Yes, that's I guess <laughs> if you look at it that way. <laughs> the cool part is though, when they moved out by us, they didn't have any animals or experience in that oh, really? realm. So I've been able to kind of watch that unfold and see the excitement with the girls and. Um, when they first got the goats and when they first got the chicks and um, I've even done a little farm sitting. Yeah. I think I'm pretty good at it. I think you're pretty good at sitting with hands. Yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. Bethany, how's that experience been for the the family? I'm sorry, Jenny. I didn't mean to jump ahead of you, but I just wanted to see how that, how that experience has been for the family at this point. I mean, I would say overall it's been a positive. I mean, we've, it's something that I've always wanted to do. I don't know why I always wanted to live out in the country, but it felt like something that uh, was like a dream of mine. And so, um, since we were able to come out here, my husband's done a lot of work to the, the place, um, you know, build a fence and, um, all the little, we have a barn. So we put the corrals in and all of that for the, the chickens and the goats and everything. So it's been a really fun thing. It's, it's good. I feel like it's good for the kids, the girls to, um, mm-hmm. have a little more of a work ethic, um, to teach them how to take care of animals, to, um, the responsibility of it and, the you know, getting up every morning and taking care of them and everything. So I think overall it's been a really, uh, good positive. We've had some health issues with the goats. So that was something I didn't necessarily expect. Um, but my husband actually, there's uh, our neighbors down the road have two baby goats. Um, and so we are going to get two more goats. So we're actually kind of really excited about that. It's a given. If you own goats, you're going to have health problems. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I wasn't aware of that, but it's been, we've learned and we've, I, I said, I'd never found myself, uh, I had to buy all these, um, inject you know the needles and everything i thought it was really good practice for me to be a nurse because i'm (laughs) injecting these goats with all these vitamin b shots and um all their things that they have to do so it was it was been a good it's been good you know knowledge for me to to gain i think there'll be tremendous uh comfort when you're working as a registered nurse and you explain to people that you learned how to give injections on goats and i think they'll find great comfort in that (laughs) You're like, don't worry, I've done this before. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to hit that little triangle right here by the neck. You know, it's no big deal. (laughs) Now, let me ask you this. Before you had goats or any livestock, um, like pretend you're back in town and adorable, oh, just adorable house that they had. What would you have thought if someone told you you would be injecting goats with vitamin B? Well, or an antibiotic or any I type of... It, it would have felt a little daunting, I guess, because it wasn't something I was familiar with. But I think that's the beauty of being in it already. You have to do it. it you, there's no option to not do it. So um, I think that's where, yeah, just 
jumping in feet first has been good for us to, but it would have been daunting. Yes. To, to the thought of it. Has that changed your views on what you buy at the grocery store? In what way? What do you mean? Um, so I think we had at one time had a conversation about, um, I think the misinformation around like meat animals and antibiotics or hormones and things like that. Um, and you were very, very conscious and careful about what you bought based on labeling. Do you have a different view now? Um, are you saying because we have had to inject them with antibiotics, whether or not I would, I would view that as different. Um, I'm not sure. I, I guess I, I might still have the same view that, um, you know, you don't want to overuse antibiotics, but at the same time, if you have to use them, then you would have to. So, um, I guess a little bit, cause you, you have some personal knowledge of what, what the, you know, the specific reason was for doing it, you know, that it was necessary. It wasn't something that was just, um, you know, whatever they wanted to do or whatever, just to get better gains or, or, um, you know, fillers or whatever, if that makes sense. And there's that little spot on the label that says, do not use within 28 days of slaughter, which is what we call the withdrawal time. And farmers want to use the least amount of antibiotics possible because it's the most expensive thing we can possibly do to an animal. Secondly, we cannot use those those antibiotics within that window or we put people at risk. But when that all takes place, there is no risk. Right, right. Oh, I have a risk. The risk is that this clock's telling me we are really having fun because we're already through the first segment. I want to remind you about the <laughs> Certified Piedmontese system. Get more details about Certified Piedmontese on the web at LoneCreekCattleCode.com. Took a picture yesterday. I was at Lone Creek's ranch. We had some burgers and some uh, hot dogs, all beef Certified Piedmontese hot dogs. We need more producers in the mix, even if you're in central Illinois. Get hold of Marlon Will at LoneCreekCattleCode.com. We'll be back with more Red Shirt Friday roll route. Bethany did not get the memo about why we wear red shirts on Friday. More after this. You know, actually, before I let you go, I should also remind you that we determine the myostatin gene is present in these Piedmontese cattle thanks to Neogen and their genomic testing. See, that's the future of food production. No more shotgun approach. No more checking. Oh, I wonder if this will work. We look at the alleles that are present and we fine tune the entire business. It's about knowing where you're going. It's drawing a roadmap before you leave home. That's what it's all about. Get details about how Neogen can shed some light on your future at Neogen.com. Welcome back to Rural Route. Trent Luce alongside uh, Not With a Red Shirt. Bethany Bieber, and the fault of that, Jenny Schwagert. You're not actually wearing a red shirt today either, by the way. No, I'm not, but it's still serving the purpose. It is serving the purpose. Uh, Bethany, do you know why we wear red shirts on Friday? Well, you told me it was to support the troops, so I think that is a great thing. But I want to tell you about the origins because I think it's relevant. At the end of World War II, the VFW Ladies Auxiliary suggested that every Friday, every man, woman, and child should wear a red shirt just as a simple, subtle gesture to say thank you. Thank you to the men and women returning from the beaches of France and Italy and the South Pacific. I found out about that 18 years ago, and I wondered, why don't we do that now? Why don't we wear a red shirt every Friday? 
It works extremely well, except on those Fridays that say Illinois State is playing the University of Illinois, and the Illinois fans are not going to wear red shirt. I'm just saying. <laughs> right, Jenny? Probably not. Although, I don't know, our football program has gotten um, quite a bit better than U of I. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ours be For those of you not from Illinois, Jenny is a, a red bird. Yes. Illinois State University graduate, so she has no allegiance to the University of Illinois, if ISU is in the mix, just saying. If, if, yes. Yeah. Otherwise, I do support U of I because my mom worked at ACES um, for a number of years Okay. in crop research. Um, Bethany, I'm going to ask you the same so question Bethany, I asked Tiffany last oh, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. There's a, such a delay. If you were to come to... Our ranch in central Nebraska, where we have 100 cows, 100 sows, and 25 horses, what would be the first thing you'd want to see or ask? Um, I'm curious about like how you get into farming because I feel like maybe this is just a bias on my part, but I always feel like you have to like know someone in the business in order to do it. And I feel like it's some, lots of times it's like these big family, um, you know, the family's done it for generations. And mm-hmm. I feel like if I wanted to become like a rancher, that would be like an extremely difficult thing to, to start or do. Um, and so I don't know. Can you talk about that a little bit? About- I can. Yes, I can. In, in 2020, I think it's easier to become a farmer or a rancher than it's ever been. I'll explain why that is in a moment. But um, I did not choose. Well, I guess I made a subconscious effort. I never had really a a choice in my mind. Um, Other than when I thought I was going to go to Illinois State for a couple of years, play baseball, then go play for the Cardinals or something, then come back to the farmer ranch. But I decided against all of that. My family um, came from Germany to Quincy, Illinois in 1832. My mother still lives in my sister and brother-in-law farm the same land the first loose came to in 1832 on the bluffs of, by Quincy yes. and um, so I, I can't relate to people that say how do I get into it because it's all I've done okay back to my statement at the beginning and that is that the average age of the United States farmer is three years older than the average person in the St. Petersburg Florida retirement community which means we have a lot of people who are looking for an exit strategy. Their kids went off to school. They did not come back to the farm or the ranch. And so a young person who wants to come and work for a period of time can work into a sweat equity position. And there are more farms and ranches today looking for young people that want to come in and be a partner than ever before. The challenge in that, and then Jeannie, I want you to weigh in on it. The challenge is that our young people, and by the way, Bethany, we have three daughters at our house, 22, 17, and 15, so I can speak to this. Um, they don't have the uh, patience. When I was a kid, I won't speak for Jenny because I, this is my era. 1984, I graduated from high school. But as a high schooler, if I wanted to talk to somebody, I didn't have Snapchat. I had to stand in the kitchen on the phone in front of mom and dad while mom's there like, don't you have things you should be doing instead of talking on the phone? So there was this deterrence to ever talk on the phone. So consequently, we have changed the the immediacy of communication, of getting everything that we want. And it's a real big challenge for young people to say, yeah, I'll invest 10 years into working for you on this farm or ranch so that I can have a part ownership in it. But if you're willing to do that, 
You can pick the county and the state that you want to go be a part of agriculture. Jenny Schweiger, your way in on that? Yeah. I mean, um, if we want to continue my Jeff's family farm, uh, I mean, that's something we have to purchase. We have to buy into. It's not, it, it won't be handed down by any right. means at all. Um, but just like how we got to our new place, it yes. was seeing an opportunity and Jeff saw an opportunity and he went after it. Yes. And it was not in our five-year plan, but it met the needs that we needed for expanding the sheep um, part. And I think, I mean, I think there has to be something said though about who, you know, and knowing the right people. Um, I know that there's some people that probably wouldn't feel comfortable coming out of their shell and just asking someone. Um, interesting enough, last night I was going through some old um, things that I had from high school and stuff. And my best friend from high school and I drove out to Wyoming because we wanted to purchase ranch ground. And I found the little ad that we found for the ground we wanted. And I framed it. <laughs> I found that last night. <laughs> Um, but again, like we didn't know anyone out there at the time and we were 17 years old. We jumped into a vehicle with our belongings and went West. Um, we were back within about two weeks, maybe not even that long, but, um, yeah, like I, I'm sure we didn't call the number because we were intimidated. I love that. And we were 17. Today, though, through social media, it would be very easy to make contacts and have a network to fulfill that teenage dream, Jenny. True. Yes. Yeah. And especially, I mean, there's some of us who have had the privilege of building huge networks. And Mm -hmm. so I always say, if there's a question I can't answer, I will most likely be able to find you someone who can answer that for you. Um, so yeah, that is a big change, but then there still has to be that confidence level to actually ask that first question. Right. And then, I mean, you go back to the work ethic part. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm concerned about that because it is hard to find kids to bail. Hey, um, there's no way of getting around it. Um, we don't have huge hay operations like what there is out west. We're still bailing with squares and loading the racks. And and we're not the only ones. Um, our oldest son, you know, does it for us, but he also goes and does it for other people. Or he'll go help a friend at a new place. And then, but he's, he's he doesn't know a stranger, though. I mean, he... He, he, you know, interested and curious and confident to ask those questions. And I don't know that an average 17-year-old would be. Right. Uh, Bethany, just to take that a step farther, when Jenny asked you about, I guess I asked you that question about your um, family experience. The first thing you went to was work ethic and responsibility for your daughters. That's the first place you yes. went. Yes. 
Well, I mean, I think it is something that's somewhat lacking in this generation. And I think it's our job as parents to teach it to them. Um, but it, it is something that is, is concerning. Yeah, and I'm not going to only be critical. Uh, I think it's an American phenomenon. I don't think it's a teenage phenomenon because look at what's happening right now. You know, in my home state of Nebraska, we have a lot of restaurants that are open, but they're not open because they are they're open limited hours because they can't find people that are willing to come and work. The government makes it too easy to stay home and collect a check, and we just continue to enhance our lazy ways. Jenny said one thing I want to correct her in what she said. She said, you can't find some kid to come and bail. Hey, you can't find some kid to come sit in a tractor that's driven by an eye in the sky. It's just a matter of showing up and doing anything. I see Jenny's pondering that. You want to weigh in and say, no, that's not right. I mean, our experience here, um, both where we lived by Bethany, um, they're both very, very strong communities that are um, rooted in agriculture. And so a lot of the local farms that are larger, they do employ students. Um, and the, here in the school district we're in, they do that through a co-op pro- program. So oh, sure. there's actually the option to go work on a farm and drive a tractor. And a lot of kids take take up. Yeah. Driving a tractor is not what it was when I was a kid. You had to hold on and turn. Now you just sit there and say, oh, look what the computer's doing to me oh. now. We have to go to a break. Jenny, you're, I can see you want to weigh in on that, too. <laughs> Bethany Beaver, Jenny Swigert. I'm Trent Luce at a red shirt. Friday, uh, the stand at Paxton County, top 20 movies for the month of May. Have you watched that yet, Bethany Beaver? You need to do that. The stand at Paxton County on Netflix. It's about the animal rights community and what they do to try to illegally take for our ownership of animals away from us. Check it out. We'll be back for the second half of Roll Route right after this. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Luce alongside Ginny Swaggart, who sounds less than a bird squawking. <laughs> Bethany Bieber joining us. Those two are from Central Illinois. Um, it's Bethany with the beautiful birds in the background. People pay big money to have these sound effects on radio programs. Bethany, you're bringing it to us just as part of nature. Good oh, on you're you. You're so welcome. Can you hear the cows across the street? No, I cannot hear a cow. <laughs> They're mooing across the street. Uh, Jenny, I was I was talking about uh, kids driving tractors and you were all puffing up like you're going to weigh in on that. So we are totally old school. Um, we only drive Oliver's or Massey's. Um, I grew up driving Oliver's. Upgraded. And in that it's not like those are for parades or something like that. I mean, they could be used right. for parades, but that's how the farms function both here and my in-laws. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're so bumpy and, um, it's not like plopping down in a seat and watching the computer, which is nice too. But um, one thing, one disadvantage that my son had when he went to work for the dairy, that's part of the co-op offering at school, is he did not know how to drive a tractor. And you think about that. It's, it's kind of eye-opening because my husband was driving the grain truck in fourth grade. You know, right. they were driving – uh-oh, I think we lost Bethany. Yep, she'll be back. They were – I mean, they were driving tractors 
probably at that exact same age. But mm-hmm. because of safety, Lane had never been allowed to really drive them for the purpose of working. There she is. Sorry. Yep. It's okay. Um, yeah. To that point, I grew up driving my first tractor, which is here, by the way, a 1755 Oliver. No cab, just the outside fenders. And if we were going to the field, if we were in the field, it's common that I'd be sitting on that fender holding on to the handle that comes up. Oh, my goodness. If you did that today, you'd be arrested. So, Bethany, back to this and your over. This was your question, by the way, that stimulated all of this. Are you trying to find a way to inspire your daughters to be in farming and agriculture? Um, I can't say that 100%. Um, I want them to continue to have a love for the country and to, to be out in, in nature. Um, I don't necessarily see with, with what I'm going into and what they are interested in that that might be a good option for them. But mm. my husband always wants to live in Wyoming, so I always am I'm curious about this. <laughs> about, about that for our retirement. So why does everybody want to move to Wyoming? Well, because there's not very many people there and, uh, I, his grandma lives there. So oh, he's a big hunter a... too. Yeah. yeah. That's but, perfect. But I, I can't say that a hundred percent, but I do think, um, like the core of this country, I mean, it's, it's so important for them to know about it and to, to recognize that, you know, that farmers are important. Um, and that this way of life is, I mean, vital to our country. So I, I try to teach them that. I do now hear the bull. That's a bull. <laughs> that's not a cow. That's a bull. Okay. Well, they make a lot of noises. <laughs> All right. Second question, Bethany, if you come on a- anybody's farm, I don't care. It can be in Illinois. What's your next question? Um, I just think it's fun to, to look at the operations of it. We had to go get hay from, from a farmer and it's just fun to be around the cows. Cause I'm not, I mean, I, I see them across the street all the time, but I'm not like up close and personal a lot. So, um, to just like be able to like see them and, and see how they, uh, feed them and how, what they're, what they're doing with them and their plans for them. I, I just find it very interesting. So just to talk to the farmer and see what, you know, what their plans are. And it's an interesting way to make you know, a living. It's, it's such a, it's such a foreign way, I guess, to me to make a living. And so it's interesting to see the way that other people make their money and how they do it. So I'm curious with your, I mean, you have experience with chickens and goats and, and country life now. Was there ever a, like an aha moment or an awakening or something where you said, Hmm, but I didn't have any idea about that. Any experiences along those lines? Um, I guess not particularly, but other than the fact that it's, um, it's a responsibility that you are taking on if you, if you get these animals and it's like something Mm -hmm. that never goes away. It's like, with a dog, you could take them to a border, you could, you know, do something, but it's like, it's, it's a part of your life. Like once you take on the responsibility of farm animals, like there's not much, you, you have to be there and be responsible for that. And I, I mean, it's a great responsibility to take on. And I, I, I love that. Um, Again, talking about like the health issues, that was kind of a surprise to me that, you know, I'm doing all of these things I never expected to do. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's like I said about that farmer I just went and talked to not that long ago. It's so interesting to see what they do, you know, and like this is the way that they support their families um, through these cows. Um, it was just really cool to, to see that and, and to talk to them about that. Do you think about food at all when you are there? 
like the food I, that you consume? I did. Yes. I, I did think of it. I mean, there's not any part of me that wants to be a vegetarian in any way, shape or form. Um, it's just, it's just an interesting way to like say this animal is what, what you're, what you're eating, you know, when you are. Um, and, but it's like, if you see the healthy looking ones, it's like, like they said that they give the unhealthy old ones to like McDonald's. Um, and that was kind of a, a big, like, Whoa, there's, there is a, there is a big hmm. difference in the quality, um, versus like what they're selling to, you know, for quality meat versus, um, the older, like ones that have had lots of, lots of babies or calves, um, to like less quality meat. Um, that, that was interesting conversation. Okay. First of all, the, the older animals, um, may, they funnel into the supply chain just to back up 60% of the United States beef consumption is ground beef. And the lion's share of those older animals you speak to would go into the ground beef sector. Um, to say that the older sick animals go to, um, I'm not a fan of the golden arches, but I do respect the amount of product that they sell. Um, but to say that they are selling product from an old sick animal is absolutely incorrect. Sick animals are not allowed to be in the supply chain. That's why we have USDA inspectors and plants to make sure that sick animals are not delivered from a beef cow standpoint. If the animal is non-ambulatory, in other words, cannot walk off of a trailer into that harvest facility, it's not allowed in the food chain. So okay. I just want to clarify, that, and I'm glad you brought okay. that point up, because even sometimes we we fall into the trap of, of using farmer, link, farmer lingo with somebody that takes it literally, and, and so sick animals are not allowed in the food chain is the moral of that story. I stand corrected. Thank you. Well, it's not you, and right. I'm really glad you shared it. It's just how we communicate with one another. And then, Bethany, we get to the point where we're here and we say, why doesn't Bethany know more about what we do? And that's why we're doing this is because we're trying to communicate with every aspect and every walk of life of people that consume food and want to know questions about where their food comes from. Right. What other concerns? I mean, did that like raise a red flag like, oh, I don't want to go and eat at McDonald's? No, it was more of a of a thing that it's like interesting that these little family farms have a place in a larger chain. And that, that was what interested me that, that, you know, I, it's, it, you don't really think about the, where it comes from necessarily. And, and having that conversation was interesting to me to think, wow, you know, this, you know, maybe something for, like a tiny little farm from Hope Jail can, could have, you know, a place in, in like a big corporation. Uh, that, that was what was interesting to me. I wasn't concerned about it. You know. Excellent. Has any of this thought process changed for you since COVID-19 about food? We're talking about food. I would say, I would say no. Um, it, it feels somewhat unrelated in, in my experience, I guess. Um, do you feel like that has been a big thing for you that you've had to deal with? Mm-hmm. It's changed everything for the food supply system in that people are asking questions and people have long talked about local food supplies, but now they're actually trying to find a way to be a part of that. I'm very uh, pessimistic, to be honest with you, that it will last longer than COVID does. I think once people get back into the normal day, day-to-day busy grind, they're going to go back and buy from the three large retailers that have forced all the consolidation in the food business. 
I want to be wrong in that regard, but at this moment in time, and uh, I want Jenny to weigh in and I know her answer. It's changed everything <laughs> as of June 19th, 2020. Yeah. I mean, it has. And, um, I guess, Maybe I'm one that's out to prove Trent wrong. I don't know if I'll be right or wrong in the end. Um, but like the shop Illinois farm did there is we saw a couple of needs. One being that, um, like, I mean, we have lots of hog farms around us that have thousands of animals in there. But they didn't have anywhere to ship their animals. So by creating that group, that allowed them a way to go and say, hey, I've got X number of animals for sale at X price or whatever. Um, Would you be interested in purchasing? And that really was actually aimed towards audiences that fit you and I in that we could take a half dozen pigs or... um, you know, maybe two dozen pigs and we could feed those out and then sell those direct to consumer or customer. Um, but yeah, like we're waiting to get sheep butchered and sheep are kind of different because of the regulations that are around sheep and goats. Um, so it's not like we can just go slaughter one of the sheeps on our or sheep, <laughs> one of our lambs on our own, um, like we can a hog or um, a smaller oh, 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 cow or steer. You, you have a state law, uh, sorry, Jenny, you have a state law that prohibits you from butchering a lamb at your place? The scrapies tags? Right, but that, um, that only affects when you sell the animal. It does not prevent you from butchering it at your house. But we... We are not um, licensed to process that meat, and it's hard to do that because of scrapies to get that licensing. Um, so we can process it, but we can't sell that right to right. it. And that's our—I mean, that's part but, of our. But, but you, but you can't sell pork that way either. It has to go through a, a state inspected or a USDA inspected plant if you're True. selling pork. Now you can sell the live animal and then they can butcher it themselves, but there's no, see, like in the UK, I have that uh, across the pond conversation with Andrew Henderson every morning. You can't butcher your own pig. You, it's illegal to butcher your own animal that you raise on your farm to eat it for yourself. Really? And that's the path that we're, yes, and that's the path that we're headed on that we try to prevent. Uh, my clock says, wow, we've got, three segments behind us. We're going to talk about heritage breeds. We're going to talk about whatever else comes up on local food comments as we continue with this live discussion. More Roll Routes after this. Welcome back to Roll Routes. Trent Luce on a red shirt Friday. The All-American Beef Battalion continuing to say thank you to our nation's troops. Steaksfortroops.com. 12th year, Bethany, that we've been there with a one-pound ribeye, cheesy potatoes, dinner roll, dessert, saying thank you. The handshake, I think, is the most important part. More than 500,000 troops have been fed. Steaksfortroops.com. Jody Jess is weighing in from the state of Massachusetts. USDA, you cannot sell non-USDA inspected meats to the public. You cannot sell USDA non-inspected meats in any state. Right. Um, but you can sell the live animal. 
and then they will either butcher it themselves or whatever the case may be. In order to sell pieces, except for the future home of both of you, Wyoming, <laughs> who earlier this year passed a law that says you can butcher an animal at home and yeah. you can actually it's all about uh, cow shares. You have to structure it so that you have part of the ownership of the cow and then you can sell roast and ribeyes and ground beef. It's the only state I'm aware of where you can actually sell components. But I don't honestly know how, they, oh, I'll tell you how they get around the USDA law, which says it has to be USDA inspected if you sell meats. That's why it's called a cow share program. Uh, Bethany, you would sell part of your goat to people. They then would have a goat share. I see. Uh, Jody Jess is also bringing up the heritage breeds aspect. If I say that to you, Bethany Bieber, what what comes to your mind about heritage breeds in animals? Um, I, I think of a farm that we have down the road that I like. They're just preserving the, the genetics of like, um, you know, the the big. I think they said they had some really some bulls that were had the lines and so they would try to preserve the line I, that's all i think of um really expensive stud fees i guess that's what i think of heritage breeds um breeds that are not widely used in commercial production today are we're on the brink of being extinct some of them are extinct um chickens would be a good example Thanks to backyard breeders, we we have some of those old breeds that are not as efficient and maybe don't fit in commercial production as well. And we've had individuals who have found a way to continue to finance breeding and raising those heritage breeds, which we shouldn't want any breed to be extinct because every breed serves a purpose. But in each species of livestock, and beef being the, the exception, because you still have more breeds of beef cattle involved than any other commercial sector of food production. And yet we do have people who preserve those breeds that are not widely accepted, which is all a good thing. Jenny, do you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not a huge heritage um, breed person because the goal is to make money. And mm -hmm. you have to have a market of people who will afford to buy that niche area so, I mean, why preserve it um, for myself, I guess, would be the, qu the question I would ask myself is, why would I want to preserve it? It doesn't make sense in a business plan for me to preserve any of those breeds. But I know that there are <clears> folks <throat> out there that are really a concern for me. Yeah. I'll give you an example of why I think it's important. And both of you live in central Illinois, and there are some people that are involved in making this happen. <clears throat> Excuse me. I grew up, as we mentioned earlier, Quincy, west central Illinois. I raised pigs. We had a few cattle, but mostly pigs. And as a young man, we would my favorite week of the year, unquestionably, is when I wake up on a cot in the back of my pickup with the sound in the sky saying welcome to the illinois state fair <laughs> in the 80s the laughing stock of the illinois state fair for most of us was the berkshires people just said, why do you raise berkshires my goodness those hogs are fat and they're this and that and they got these short pug noses and um they were just the laughing unless you raise berkshires they're the laughing stock. And in central Illinois, you got some families that just stayed hardcore. Kenny Schaffner, he's, he's now retired. 
He's just north of you guys. He continued to raise Berkshires no matter how much people laughed at him. And because the issue of the day, Bethany, was in the 80s, we need to get pork leaner, more muscular, and grow faster. And Berkshires are all about fat. They're not efficient. They weren't the, the breed to fit into the mix. But Berkshires possess something that is now in very high demand. And that is Berkshire pork loins maintain water. They have a higher level of pH, which means they have a greater water holding capacity. They have a higher level of marbling. They offer so many eating qualities that in the 80s, we didn't think was important to pork because we wanted to make it leaner, leaner, leaner. Right. If we did not have the Kenny Schaffners of the world that were focused on these Berkshire hogs, Mm -hmm. we today... And I'll, I'll just take it full circle. I laughed at them in the 80s. We now sell as many Berkshire market hogs as we sell anything else because the eating qualities are absolutely fantastic. So even though at that point in time we didn't see the value in a Berkshire, today the Berkshires and the Durox, which are also about eating quality, and we've been able to do the same thing with spots, but it was important for somebody to maintain it. Now, to Jenny's point, how does that person – maintain a profitability to be able to continue to raise those Berkshires or whatever that heritage breed is until a point in time, there's a reason in the big picture to bring them back into the mix. Therein lies the real problem. And so that I think goes to um, the advocacy world where they have to advocate for that breed and create that demand. I think it's a, a supply and demand type of situation. Um, how how has the the breed increased from the 80s to today like across the nation like how many had existed back Um, then compared to now from a historical perspective and i got the guy that can probably give me the answer right here daryl anderson who just chimed in because he's a past executive secretary of the american yorkshire club which dates him and the National Swine Registry. Um, but I'll, I'll just tell you today that we basically have 10 breeds that make up the swine complex. In the commercial sector, they're using a mix of Yorkshire Landrace, um, Duroc Terminal Sires, and Berkshire Influence for the meat quality. That's what the, the commercial sector is primarily doing, some combination of that. There are breed registrations for I'm going to say uh, nine prominent breeds, including Tamworth and Hereford, two heritage breeds that have been preserved. You take the Spots, the Chesters, the Polans, the Herefords, the Tamworths, all five of those breeds combined from a registration standpoint only now, and that's how we can really monitor what the inventory is. There's more Berkshires registered each year than all of those breeds combined. Wow. Really? Hmm. Okay. And and so it has become a huge phenomenon. The interesting thing about the Berkshire is that they're very popular with kids who participate in the showing aspect, but they're also very popular in the meat animal world in terms of eating qualities. Now, for the commercial pork producing sector that's listening to this, and, and I just need to throw out there that the Durox maintain the same kind of meat quality maybe not quite as good as the Berkshires, but they also give you tremendous growth. And so the Durocs are used across the board more uniformly in the commercial sector, but the Berks are interesting in that they bring the blend of both of those worlds together. But to kind of go full circle, 
So we had producers here. I hear a goat, Jenny. Jenny, did you hear that goat? I did. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, they didn't have anywhere for their animals to be processed. And so where I was going, I guess, with talking about butchering on farm with the sheep is in order for us to sell that, it has to go through a locker. And mm-hmm. the lockers right now, as of yesterday, um, are booked through July of 2021. So wow. it's going to be difficult for us to find a place to process the animals that we want to sell. So that's how it's kind of impacted us. Um, so I just wanted to go back and kind of add that in um, so everyone knew where I was going with that. But you, you have definitely shined light and changed my opinion well, on the heritage breeds um, because I, di- I didn't know that. But but you bring up, and, and Jody Jess, along with Bethany, actually bring up the real challenge is that you need to find a way to remain profitable while you're raising these heritage breeds. Um you know, here's Jody Jess, who's again weighing in, saying he raises GOS. I'm I'm about to guarantee I'm the only one that knows what a GOS is in this conversation. Yeah, Gloucester old spots from the old country of England oh, and okay. carry cattle. How, how, how do you continue to maintain a profit stream? And Bethany, I think this is really the biggest disconnect with, between the consumer and the producer in that everything that we do as a farmer has to be profitable. You can have all the pride in your heritage breeds you want, but unless you're profitable and have a way to generate a revenue stream to keep you in the business, that's not sustainable. And so the whole profit complex tends to take a a negative light from a a consumer standpoint when, in fact, I'm not going to be here if I'm not profitable. Bethany? Uh, Bethany's new location where she moved to. Oh, go ahead, Bethany. I was just going to say, like, I think, I, I didn't know any of that stuff that you said either, but I, I do think if you knew um, some of that, you, I mean, I if I was going to purchase uh, meat and I knew all that information, I would be much more likely to pay more um, for it. And I think that's where education is super important because no, then I will be willing to pay more for it. And that, that from my perspective, is, is important to know the quality and, it and you know, the history of right and is exactly why jenny and i appreciate you taking the time to come and join us i'm not i got like 30 seconds jenny um well you changed my mind um we did try the um uh barnvelders chickens when we first started dabbling into chickens like a number of years ago and it was just too hard too much to we couldn't you know, get those costs covered. So that's why I felt like heritage breeding is just not a place that is going to make money. Um, But one thing that I love about Bethany, and I don't know if you realized this before you moved out there to the country, but one of the first things you said was you recognize that farms are businesses. And in many cases, people don't understand that they don't um i think it's beyond something that they know it's they they don't they see a romantic version of farms 
I think that's going to have to be the profound wisdom of the day because we are one minute over. My thanks to Bethany Bieber, Jenny Swigert, as always. Great conversation. Only thing I'm going to say is when you guys and your families go west to Wyoming, make sure you stop and see us on the way in Central oh, Nebraska. Oh, absolutely. We have successfully journeyed from A to Z, and we have connected all of the food producers with the food consumers. Thank you. All three of us remind you that all roads do lead to a roll route. 